I got a notification that's like, hey, do you want to uh, join Oxide and Friends? I was like, I guess. I don't know. What are they talking about? <laughs> I don't know, man. Those guys are kind of turkeys. They never intro their guests. That's what I've heard about that. It's a right. persistent theme. I got to tell you that I feel disoriented. I, I'm just got a little bit of a confession. Adam, as you know, I recently celebrated a bit of a milestone birthday. I am I'm 50. And boy, I generally do not feel 50, except when I am in someone else's discord, when I feel like I'm 95. I feel like I, I feel like I'm in a high school party looking for my teenagers and unable to find them. And I'm like, I, I should, <laughs> I, you're I, getting looks and you're getting looks like I should not be here. I am seeing things that I cannot unsee. And I really just want to like do my business and get out of here. So, uh, I, I apologize to all those, um, so this, all right, well, you know, now, Adam, I'm doing exactly the thing that you say <laughs> I do. <laughs> How many okay boomer jokes are allowed in the next hour? <laughs> all of them. Oh, that's, all, see, that's, all, a, that's, already a, that's already a hot button uh, no, take all, right there. <laughs> okay, all of them, because I would just like, for the record, we, there was a generation between millennials and baby boomers. It's the one that Adam and I are in. So, anyway. <laughs> Which is just, that's the, the, the whole joke I'm, already. We've had the joke now. It's excellent. <laughs> The forgotten generation. It's nope, not, the not, lost that generation. One, not that one. Not that one. That was, that's no, 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 no. There's the silent generation, and then there's you guys, the forgotten generation. Yes. <laughs> what are you, you saying? What are you saying? They talk too much? Jeez. Listen, in an effort to not forget ourselves, we actually gave our whole generation a name. Um, a name that was then cribbed by subsequent generations. Classic Gen X. Anyway, all right, I'm I again I'm I'm doing the thing. I'm so sorry. So all right. I would like <laughs> what an intro. Yeah, what an intro. Welcome to Oxide and Friends, everybody. Uh, so uh, really uh, excited to have uh, some terrific guests here. So we've got, um, we've got uh, yesterday, last week, we had the launch of the MI300 and a bunch of folks uh, in town. And among them were George Cosma uh, of Chips and Cheese and Jordan Reynos from Storage Review. So uh, welcome, guys. Um, was great to see you last week. Both of you were up at Oxide. I'm uh, nerding out with some uh, bunch of computers, and it's great to have you here to talk about this MI300 launch. So thanks for coming by. Yeah, appreciate you having us. This is uh, yeah. a lot of fun to be here. It was a lot of fun to come out and visit, too, and see what you guys got going on firsthand. It was uh, recommended by our Discord, actually, and uh, they Isn't said, that... hey, who are these guys? <laughs> and I came and found out. <laughs> What a what a modern love story! It's our Discord's got us together. You know, isn't that that's so uh, that's great? Um, Adam, you were informing me that that in in Twitch parlance, this has like a name when yes. when you get. To, so what, what this is this is called? This is a raid. So we've got raid R A I D. There you go. A whole crew of of someone's fan base showing up. Usually, it's like kind of a passing of the baton, not not sort of the the uh, <laughs> Jetsons meet the Flintstones like we're doing here. But yeah, I think I feel, a raid I still applies. More, more, more Jetsons plus Flintstones. I feel. I feel this is more like a crossover. Yeah, but that's but that's a Gen it's X like, reference that only you and I get. I'd like some clarification you, on is, which is one it, of us is the Jetsons. Actually, understand that reference. <laughs> okay, we you can make a Jetsons reference though. Surely, surely. The, I, the, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Too <laughs> frustrated. Um, so, yeah, okay, so, and I guess I can make a Kiss and Led Zeppelin reference. I'm trying to think like the super group. I think, anyway, whatever. It, it's great to have you here. It's great to have our two tribes, our three tribes, I guess, because you guys, that George, you got the, the chips and cheese crew as well. So we got, 
bringing everyone together uh, to talk uh, MI300. So uh, it's a pretty interesting launch, something we've had our eye on here at Oxide for a long period of time. Um, but Jordan, do you maybe want to kick us off in terms of uh, of what brought you down here for it and what you saw that was interesting uh, in the in in the launch on whenever it was Wednesday? Oh man, there was actually a lot of really there were some subtle points that were really interesting. We uh, Kevin and I, Kevin's our lab director. He came out with me to San Jose for the AMD event. Um. We went into it kind of expecting less than was actually delivered. Um, in 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 that's not a dig at AMD. It was more of a uh, you know AMD's always had kind of a an an underdog uh, good good value you know a good product for the money. Um, and we we weren't expecting them to come out of the gate swinging like that with such a robust i mean between the x and the a right so i think it's important for the audience to understand when we say mi300 we're talking more about a series of stuff we're not talking about one specific product because in my head at least are two very distinct things with two very distinct applications the x is more of what you would think of as a traditional gpu right the uh the H100, the A100, the H200, that that sort of thing, where the A is closer to what would be uh, the NVIDIA analog of a, a Grace Hopper, right? A, a CPU and GPU combined. And, you know, they, they came out of the gate with that. They came off the top rope and they really, they, they, laid, they, they laid down something that was, uh, it wasn't expected. Let's just say that. It's, it's looking really good on paper. Um, all the things that AMD is telling us about it, all the things that we're hearing from partners are really good. Um, it's 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 going to be, yeah, this is going to be really interesting to see as, as another competitor enters the space on it. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And, I, and I'm sure you've heard of the same things we've heard about like, no, no, it's got to be NVIDIA. It's got to be NVIDIA. Anything other than NVIDIA's, you know, CUDA has got this incredible mode, which obviously all true. But I do think that especially with the the difficulty in getting parts, and Jordan, you'd point out to me that's like, hey, if I want to buy an H1, if I want to rent an H100 for by the minute, I can do that right now. If I want to actually buy one, I'm going to be waiting for a long time. And if I let yeah. alone if I want to buy, you know, 10 or 100 or 1,000. And I think people are realizing that actually it is good for the industry to have a choice here, that actually having a single dominant player with with absolutely no competition whatsoever is really not good for us all collectively. And I just feel like, and Jordan, George, I'd love to get your take on this too, but if you, because it feels to me like the zeitgeist is beginning to shift and people were saying that like, it's got to be NVIDIA. I was like, actually, you know what? Maybe this AMD stuff has actually got a shot and boy, the hardware is awfully interesting. So maybe it's worth getting you know, making sure that PyTorch works well or some of these, these other things that, that work uh, at parity. So at least in terms of the hardware, right, I would say that this is almost AMD's playbook at this point. If you look at Epic, they did this exact same thing. So you can sort of analogize MI200 with uh, Epic Rome. Sorry, Epic Milan. Not Milan. Jeez. Italian city games. Naples, thank you. Naples, yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Sorry, I Italian city names. <laughs> I do apologize. Um, but yes, uh Epic Naples. 
And that that's is interesting. so Naples in that like Naples is the first real. I mean, this is where AMD is basically dead on the operating table when they when they come out with Naples and it and Naples ends up being more of a study for these future architectures. Is that what you meant? Yeah. And, and you can. So you, you saw sort of with Naples, the first chiplet where wow. AMD was heading. Right. And you could see that with MI 200 where they were also heading for MI-300. And it was both Naples and MI-200 sort of just, it was AMD saying, hey, we're here, right? We exist. Right. We're, we're alive. Don't bury me. Don't, for, don't close the coffin lid. I'm alive. I have Naples. For, yeah, for Rome and for MI-300, it was AMD saying, we're here. Pay attention. Yeah. Interesting. So... It's going to be interesting to see what MI400 does, if it's going to be sort of what uh, Milan was. Um, yeah. Now, granted, NVIDIA is not Intel. They're not sitting on their back end, like, see, or stuck with uh, process node issues. So it's, it's interesting to see the, the competition heat up. And do you think that – and what do you think about internal – because the software story has been the criticism for AMD. And uh, – but it, do you agree that it seems that uh, there is more um, willingness to look at non-NVIDIA architectures, specifically AMD, um, from those folks that are kind of at the coalface of the stuff than there has been historically? So I'm going to take that in two parts. I'm going to take the software story and then I'm going to take the looking at someone other than NVIDIA. For the software story, yes, that that is the big crux for anyone adopting AMD. Um, and it's that AMD software stack, it's not CUDA. Like, right. it's Rockham is, I can't believe it's not CUDA, but worse it, for, for, for so to speak. Um, do you want to well, no, but yeah, you also okay. that you're so, taking a, so I'm being like, harsh because I care, right? Right. And why I say worse is not in that it's 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 not universal, right? And even if you write code for say RDNA two or three, there are certain code paths that because of whatever reason. If you try and port that code up to the MI series, it just won't port without recompiling it. Yeah. Um, and that's because of just different things between the architectures. So it's it it's a story of I know that AMD has been pushing for it, and they and a lot of people outside of AMD have been pushing for better and better software. And from what we've seen at the event and from what I was told, it looks like they're fine that there's finally starting to become a push towards more software on the consumer side, which is yeah, very, very, very good. And George, even, so, yeah, sorry, George, go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say I'd even go a step further and just say, you know, it's it's classic AMD, you know, the drivers and software will come. Yeah, yeah. And and you you do have to sort of give it 
a lot of people are like, well, where, oh, AMD's making money. Where's my software? Where's my software? It doesn't move that quickly, right? Milan was really where AMD sort of started getting its foothold and true movement in the data center. Right. I mean, to be, to be fair, this is where the analogy breaks down a little bit because it's like, yeah. you know, Naples and Milan and in general, they all execute x86 code. Like you can have some pretty old, crufty x86 code that will execute on those parts versus like, Nave, you've got CUDA. It's like it is you're porting it to Rockham. I mean, there is actually there's a lot more lift involved. Um, but so, George, do you feel that like, I can't believe it's not CUDA, which I would like to point out is, do you know what that's a reference to? When you say, I can't believe it's not CUDA, do you know what you're implicitly making a reference to? I just like to add. I can't believe believe it's not butter. Yes. Okay. So I can't believe it's, how does, I can't believe it's not butter. That's, that's surely a, uh, trapped in the eighties. Like I can't make a Jetsons reference, but I can't believe it's not butter. I, whatever. I'm not, you know what? I'm not even going to go there. But so the, do you feel that Rockham is beginning to get out from underneath that? Um, because it, it certainly felt that way with some of the enthusiasm that we saw from partners on, on Wednesday. But do, do, do you feel that they're beginning to get out from underneath some of that? So at least in my community, right? Rockham, I believe it was 5.5, 5. 5.6, and 5.7. Specifically 5.7 were actually very warmly received. And because there were some yeah. very big updates there um, that were very, very, very welcome. So um, let me ask you another thing, because, and I, Jordan, I wondered if this is one of the things that you found. I want to get to, you know, you said you found some things surprising with the launch. I found some things a little bit surprising with the launch, too, even though, you know, obviously we, like you, have, have known about MI300 for a long time and knew, it, knew roughly what the what was going to be launched, but you know, the way kind of the way it's presented is always interesting. And I loved seeing, and this is not new for them, but it was great to see the emphasis on open source for that software, um, which is a real contrast to what we see out of NVIDIA. And uh, I thought that I, I, were you expecting that, that strong emphasis on open source? Cause I think that that's part of the reason, you know, you said that with AMD, the drivers are going to get better, but it ain't going to get better if it's it necessarily, if it's proprietary, being open is a really important part of that. Yeah. I, that's up there on my list of things that were I, I would say it wasn't a huge surprise for it, but it's up there on the list of things that were OK. That's that's impressive. You know, it's a strong stance yeah. that Intel has taken as well. Right. The, with the with open Vino and in, in going their route, um, open sourcing this kind of stuff only has one effect, and that's bettering the community. Right. I I'm a firm believer in open the code, open it up. That oh, does not feel like it doesn't feel like you've got some great business insight there, but that some somehow this eludes some other companies that like, hey, if you sell hardware, open sourcing the software is only in your best interests, actually. But uh, I'm glad to see AMD get that. So, yeah, OK, that's interesting so that you were a bit surprised by the kind of same way, like not not shocked, but good to see. What were some of the things right. that surprised you? Um specifically around kind of the uh the architecture and the the amount of i mean like the the the, the raw engineering prowess that went into the mi300 series between both the a and the x um you know we got some really technical deep dives on like thermal analysis and you could tell they put a lot of time and effort into thinking about Okay, we can pump, you know, five, seven hundred, nine hundred watts through these chips, but how do we get the how do we get the heat out? Right? That's yeah. a completely different conversation than the one we've been having. But 
it was something really impressive nonetheless talking about the um i can't think of the exact term i'm sure george knows but it's like the micro tunneling inside the silicon to help remove the heat uh, it, it was it's was like wow like okay these guys came out swinging and then when you get to things like the mi300a right and you compare it to something like grace hopper mi300 hayes you know has a single address space it's not two distinct things so you're you're talking now performance of the applications itself so we're getting so could you describe the 300a because i think this is a big part of why we're interested in this i think it's a big part of why you're interested in this yeah so just describe the architecture of the 300a a little bit so george keep me honest here so the mi300a is a what amd calls an apu so a lot like their old desktop and laptop chips but on super steroids in the arnold schwarzenegger workout program with some joe rogan mixed in there um <laughs> it's got 24 cores that are all smt enabled uh they're zen 4 cores so they're the kind of like the genoa uh iteration um those those are hooked up directly to the i want to say 121 gigabytes george is that right so so it's 256 megabytes of infinity cache and then the memory the memory is 128 gigabytes 128 gigabytes yeah. of yeah. 120 um, gigabytes of hbm of hbm yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. um which that in itself right from a programming perspective when you're handling these apps and you're going through the the how you're doing different calls and how you're how you're building the software stack right this is why this is such a paradigm shift in my head AMD has an uphill battle in getting the software ready so you can lift and shift like a model at a hugging face. But it's 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 a very different way of thinking about how you interact with some with a very powerful accelerator like that, right? So you've got this CPU, an x86 CPU that's essentially just hanging out in a hot tub of HVM with the accelerator. And man, the options that can come out of that, like just thinking about it is, is kind of wild. You know, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm a little taken back by the, the hot tub metaphor is not one that occurred to me. And I just, the, now my, my brain is going to all sorts of different ways there with the uh, chilling in the hot tub of HBM. Well, there's um, a lot of yeah. heat in there too. So it came down. Totally, very hot. Yeah. It's actually, well, it's a scalding tub, actually. It's actually like, it's actually boiling. Um, no, the, well, and that I think is part of why we are so interested in it is because historically, the GPGPU has kind of been this accelerator sitting on the other side of a PCIe bus. And it has really, it's been a device. And it's been a super fancy device, and it's been one that has got this proprietary interconnect and proprietary way of talking to it and so on, but it's been a device. And I think actually pulling this on package and having this be a chiplet that's now sitting alongside your general CPU chiplets, to me, it's like the package becomes the computer. Um, At least that the high performance part of the computer is the package. And uh, you begin to solve a bunch of problems that you have when you have stratify the system i mean i like jordan i mean you pointing out that like you've got actually now you can can address memory you can address this hbm from either the compute side or from the 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 apu side which is uh opens up a lot of opportunity to develop a truly unified system which i think has been part of the challenge um of the gpgpus as as we have implemented them 
and George, if you were to squint at this, and and I think uh, you know Jordan may have already set you off on this because you could look at MI three hundred A and say, like, okay, well that's like that's pretty similar to Grace Hopper, the Nvidia's Grace Hopper. Um, I but uh, when we were talking about this last week, you uh, you had some thoughts that maybe like actually you shouldn't think of these things as being maybe they have some architectural similarities, but there are a lot of differences too. Uh, can you elaborate on some of their on some of their differences? So at the highest of the high level, yes, you you could say that they're they are competing products. However, their implementation is almost the polar opposite of each other. Um, you have AMD taking the approach of a fully unified memory space that is cache coherent at the cache line level, right? So you can actually share 128 byte cache lines between the CPU and the GPU. Um, whereas in Grace Hopper, it's not one memory space, it's two memory spaces, and there's some trickery pokery with figuring out what's being accessed when and who by who more often and it gets shuffled about it it's more um well, it sounds like it would just be harder to program to i mean is that not yeah so if you go and you look at their programming guide it's you you, you can tell that this is not as elegant so to speak right. there's a big scene yeah it, it it's not as elegant as mi300a is um now you, you can argue that grace has a more powerful cpu uh that's tbd but you're likely not wrong but you the can CPU also is more more powerful than those zen four cores that's pretty that's Oh, so what I mean is in terms of multi-threaded performance here. So you have 72 cores on um, Grace versus... Versus the 24, Zen. yeah. Yeah, so now MI308 is clocking them higher, if I remember correctly. Um, I think Grace is at 2.6. Um, and MI300A is at 3.7. But still, I, I'm pretty sure in terms of the mo- if you ran Geekbench on them or Cinebench, um, Grace would probably end up winning. But so can, can we talk prob- about power for a second well, in terms of like power from the Grace side versus the Hopper side versus what power we we think might look like in an MI 300A? Because one of the things has been kind of mesmerizing to watch, just as we've brought up our compute sled and and with Milan and then again with Genoa, like. Watching how dynamic the power is on the part is pretty amazing. Where it will, it, it's really pretty remarkably good at uh, when you know you got a bunch of cores that are idle. You'll have a core that will its clock will go way up. It's the draw of that core will go way up, and then as you get more work, uh, it will the, you'll see the the clock drop and the that the kind of the power is is dissipated across all all the cores. How does that work inside a Grace Hopper? Presumably, there's got to be a similar. I mean, surely you can't spin up, or maybe you can spin up all of those cores simultaneously with all of the GPUs cranking. Or is there some dynamic allocation of power across those? So there's dynamic power allocation. Interesting. Um, 
although I would have to go back and look at the, the guide. MI300A, because I'm looking at our articles right in front of me, so I can just check it, is 550 watts air, 760 watts uh, water. If I remember correctly, I believe Grace Hopper, is, I think out of the box, is 900 or 950 watts and can go up to 1,000. Um, don't quote me on that. I might be wrong. I would have to go check again. But yeah, that's nuts. I mean, even, that's just a lot. even if we were in the neighborhood of the five or six hundred, the package footprint on either of those is wildly different. Sure. Those, yeah. Those three hundred A's, for reference, for maybe some people will understand this, is the same exact socket and footprint as a uh, like a Genoa or a uh, a Bergamo CPU. It's it's actually really small and it's it's putting a lot of power through it. Yeah, which I think is, I mean, I think, Jordan, you, that you were saying that part of the power of AMD is they kind of take this core innovation and they package it in a bunch of different ways. Um, and I, I mean, I'm still very impressed that they take the same chiplet on the desktop, more or less, as they do on the server. The fact that we've got, they've, they've got so much commonality, clearly they're very different parts, very different packaging. Um, but th this kind of, the fact that they are sharing a socket in at least the at least the physicality of the socket the mechanics of the socket are the same right, socket. it's not electrically yeah. compatible yeah right um i mean that's pretty remarkable though i mean just in terms of like kind of leveraging your your investment on one side against another side it's part of, but another part of what actually what we find really interesting about the mi 300a um is that it just feels like you're you're leveraging a bunch of existing investment um i'm kind of dying to know what the because you all do not yet do you have your hands on mi 300a are they you yeah. i i wish but right. uh, also slight correction um adam thankfully pulled up the spec sheet it's between 450 and a thousand watts for grace hopper um so that's between 450 yeah. and a thousand watts oh okay is this kind of like yeah. how california companies are required to list a salary range so it's like oh yeah it's between 100,000. <laughs> yeah. yeah there you go like oh okay <laughs> um yeah that's a that's a that's a pretty wide range there yeah. Um, so, the, um, the, so you do not have. I, I, Jordan, I think I saw. Did I see a video of you at least palming one on? Didn't you just? Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> um, must have been tempting to just be like, you know, you're not going to miss this one. I can just like kind of stick this galactic thing in my. You can't really stick it in your pocket. Rub it down That's your shirt. That's right. Yeah, I try to every time, and I usually get tackled <laughs> by PR guys at the end of uh, the video shoot to make sure that I do bring it back. But uh, you know, the actual chip itself is pretty pretty small. And I, I, my meme, my meme post on Reddit was uh, AMD now selling heat sinks with a little silicon attached to the bottom. Get your MI three hundred A's. <laughs> well, that is a monster heat sink. And Jordan, when you were in the office, you saw the heat sink that we have on to, on Tofino and the Switch. I mean, that thing yeah. is all basically all heat. The heat sink is gigantic. In fact, the heat sink is so big, and I think we talked about this in a previous episode, that one of the mechanical challenges that we had was the heat sink is so large that we had a moment arm issue where we were worried that that a, a small amount of force on the outside of that heat sink could crack the PCB. So the heat sink engineering is is uh, not trivial. These are hard mechanical problems. And that heat sink that you had was just, it. I mean, it was it, it, very large. It was a big heat sink, and unsurprisingly, on top of a pretty hot part. Yeah, we've we've learned to call it colloquially inside storage review the lunchbox, 
Um, <laughs> it appears that uh, both AMD and Intel, Intel have gone with that kind of similar uh, that similar design, and it kind of feels like it when you pick it up by that little lever too. It's uh, it's it's got a lot of mass to it, but I can't help but think that if someone were to you know engineer a solution to go into a, a, a smaller than a four U form factor, you could definitely widen that out with a proper number of heat pipes. Interesting. Mm. Huh. Yeah, what if, what if someone could go do that? That's, I wonder where we can cool. find any good engineers around here. Exactly. I don't know. Try the next podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, another question I've got for you, because I think when, you know, we designed our rack to have a 15KW power budget for the rack, and that really informed a bunch of decisions that we made. Um, and clearly, we are not looking at 15... One is not looking at 15KW per rack for one of these, or one is looking at a very small number of parts. You're going to have like, you know, if you're drawing a KW for the part, it's like you're going to have uh, like not even close to 15 parts. Before I, you think 15 you can, KW. I think you can fit 15 KW under my desk if <laughs> it was all these. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I guess that's what I'm asking is like, what are, are people kind of changing the way they think of the folks that are, are, are deploying these by, you know, the, by the hundreds and thousands I mean, you've got to be looking at at 30kW per rack, 40kW per rack, and beyond that. Is that what are people actually doing that, or are they just deploying fewer of these things? I mean, kind of square this for me from a data center perspective, because we look at the enterprise DC, and when people hear it's like, wow, 15kW per rack, like, wow, that's at the very outer limit of our facility, and then along come you know comes these things that are going to draw a lot more. But I think that's a bit of the paradigm shift, right, of what's going on right now, where we've got a lot of action in the liquid space. Uh, we're at Storage Review, we're getting pretty, pretty hands-on in, in, in going further into the liquid side of things. Um, that's more or less the direction you almost have to take, whether it's a direct-to-chip or uh, in heat exchanger on the hot aisle. Um, you're gonna you're gonna run into thermal limits really quickly. Interestingly enough, this is something that a lot of um like uh, crypto GPU mining stuff more or less solved a handful of years ago, and it's just starting to find its way into enterprise and uh, traditional, you know, which HPC or um uh you know AI computational workloads are going where. You know, you're you're realizing that these chips are so powerful, and yeah, you can cram in a forty some odd U rack. You can cram forty of these things in, but then you're looking at twelve hundred watts per box. And how do I get that heat out of there? And 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 the easiest, simplest answer, especially if you're building net new, and this is the big asterisk on the entire equation, right? Is if you're building net new, the answer is go liquid. If right. you're retrofitting, that's where things get that that question becomes a lot harder because now we're talking about facility power or facility water, um, possibly retrofits to the power. Um, you know, there, there's there's so many variables to that if you're doing a retrofit versus a net new build, and what we're seeing is is a, a greater. Um, willingness to do the adoption right of 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 a liquid but maybe not the perfect answer everybody wants to say yes i would love to have you know aisles and aisles of liquid cooled stuff but i can't retrofit facility water so right, what's a, the answer 
Well, yeah, and I, I, I guess I mean because this is a a pretty exciting driver for folks that this is like okay, this you get this potentially compelling new functionality. I mean, one question I definitely have, I mean, it's interesting that you bring up crypto because, of course, I I mean, clearly, in in contrast to crypto, I think a lot of, I mean, there's a there there uh, with respect to these large language models and generative AI. Like, there's, it, it feels pretty unquestioningly at this point. I don't know, Adam, where, where do you net out of that? There's, I mean, I feel there's unquestionably... Unquestionably. Going, yeah, unquestionably. I think, long, I, I think there, is, there is some hyperbole around this being the only future of... Comp- computing or at least you know unproven yet but it's like there's a hundred percent of there there it's going to change lots it's going to change lots i mean okay well, I, I, I like i love lisa sue she did say it's the biggest revolution in 50 years i'm like Ooh, 50 you mean That's that number it's a long time well <laughs> I mean, i'll give you i'll give you this counter when crypto first came out or i'm sorry when crypto first hit the mainstream you didn't have enterprises like banks jumping up and down and saying, yes, I need that now. We have that happening with AI. Yeah, 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 right. I mean, you Absolutely. and you you definitely had like a moment at Web3 when everyone's like, oh, everything's going to be on the blockchain. But no one actually knew what that meant. And no one was actually finding <laughs> yeah. it. And he, uh, no, I totally agree. That, that, you, that you've got, there's definitely, that there is, a, there's, there's something very real here. And the, the kind of the question is how much of that is going to translate into the price tag. I mean, the question that we've definitely got is it also feels like there's a stronger bias for this stuff to be on-prem because you kind of want to let this thing loose on the data that you don't want to put on the cloud for some of these folks when you talk about banks. Um, but I don't know. I mean, is it, they're, uh, Jordan, as you were pointing out, it's like these are way easier. It's way easier to rent one of these things than it is to buy it right now. What do you think the economics of kind of buying versus renting looks like for for these, uh, for kind of the MI 300A? Well, I guess the, the, the leading question is, is it going on premises or on premises? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it, 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 I mean, you can't it, team it, me up like that. It's, okay. it's, and you and I were having a conversation the other day that was really intriguing. And it was, you don't see any snow machines leaving AWS. They're, <laughs> they're all going up to it. But there's still a lot of industry out there that either can't or won't or just is literally unable to move the amount of data that they have to the to the public cloud or even a private cloud, right? So, so your options become kind of a do I invest in which architecture? It's not a do I invest? It's which one? And in you, you start approaching this, like I said, this conversation of it's easier to build it net new. You know, HPC racks in 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 that sort of you know where we're at with AI is not like anything we've ever seen in enterprise traditional compute. It's yeah. it's a very different animal. Uh, it's a different animal on the the amount of throughput you need all the way up to what you need in the data center to support it. Um, uh, interesting. It, it's yeah, a complex it question. And so and I guess it's kind of twofold because I mean, you obviously have those reasons to run on on-prem because like, Hey, I've got data that I just is not going to go to the cloud or what have you. And as you say, like snowmobiles do not make return trips. Um, the snowmobile being the, the, this is the, the AWS, uh, pickup truck, not pickup truck, semi truck that that uh, hoovers up your data and then drives off to an AWS data center. I was joking when they released that that if I were that NetApp should be like 
carjacking those things because it's, I mean, they're just like, you know, those it, that's disappearing into Mad Max Arizona. style. Yeah. Total Mad Max style. Dan Wormenhoven out there going like, no, we're going to go bring down another snowmobile. Um, the, but they did not alas. Um, the, so you got the kind of the, the, that issue of kind of the privacy issue. I'm actually just like, just because you, you all are so on the economics of this stuff. Does it pay to rent versus owning these things? I mean, I know they're hard. I mean, Jordan, as you were saying, it's like, just like the supply chain is a mess right now and it's hard to actually physically get one, but, and they are as expensive as hell. These things are so expensive. I mean, some of these NVIDIA GPUs, like, holy mackerel, that's a lot of money. Um, but I can they buy are houses for less than a server full of these things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally. Literally. Um, yeah. So, I mean, right. So you look at it and, and I think, I think the correct answer to this, to any enterprise at any scale is to prove it out in some sort of cloud, right? Prove it out. There's, there's very simple ways. If your developers don't know a way to write a script to debug or to create dummy data to use that mimics real data, prove out your stuff, prove out your models in, in a way take your time and select something, you know, like, like find the right chip, find the right manufacturer, find the right supplier, take your time on it. Don't, don't rush too hard on it. And, and that's probably anti to everything that everybody wants me to say, but it really is the truth. It takes a lot longer to develop the found. Even if you're building on a foundational model, instead of just fine tuning something, it takes so much longer to do that than just inference. And now we're talking about crazy things like, NVIDIA's got Retriever, AMD's got kind of crazy stuff coming out with Rockham. You know, we've got all these really wild, just complete stack solutions happening. And those take so much time to actually integrate into an enterprise, especially if you're something that's so big and slow moving that you can't just go to the cloud, right? As you get bigger, it's almost a, a, a a feedback loop of now I'm so big and so regulated, I can't just go do this. But taking the time to slow down and invest in, okay, how can we develop a chat model that's able to respond to a customer calling in who's complaining about their medical bill that can actually route them to their right department without leaking HIPAA compliant, you know, being being compliant with that? How do we do that? But do we do? How do we do that with fake information? Because you can still do it, right? It's not impossible, yeah. and that's kind of the biggest challenge right now with this entire industry is that that training data creation, that that first implementation of the entire thing is so human capital expensive. It is. It's unmatched. It's you, you're going to spend five x what you spend on the actual hardware in human cost to develop something that can fully take advantage of it. And I, yeah, I think that's even an understatement. And that's also really interesting. I do agree with you that it's kind of iconoclastic advice because, you know, there's kind of this mania out there. I mean, honestly, a mania that I feel, Adam, we have not seen certainly in a long time. Definitely reminds me of internet mania, um, .com mania. I think it's much greater than, for good reason, much greater than kind of Web3 mania. Who okay, um, boomer? <laughs> damn it you know my kids do that my kids love to call me a boomer to troll me i mean it's so effective it's just like it's such an effective troll yes i, I just I, remember i asked for permission on how many i could make and i was told <laughs> all of right. them 
But but I mean, we are seeing this kind of this real mania out there and there is this temptation to believe like, oh no, you need to move like right now. And I think it's like, you need to take this really seriously. But Jordan, I think what you're saying is really interesting. It's like, no, be deliberate about it. Like get it, explore it, start exploring it, get it working with, with, uh, with fake data sets and start kind of figuring it out. Cause I also feel that like, if this is going to be as big as its proponents, and I'm not talking about the doomers here, but I'm talking about like the, the proponents who believe the people like Lisa Sue saying that this is the biggest revolution in computing in 50 years. I don't know about that, but if it's a, if it is that big of a revolution, if it's a revolution on par with Adam, I don't think, I mean, I, I will spare you the coronary and I won't say that it will top spreadsheets. Um, because I, think, <laughs> I mean, the spreadsheet is hard to beat, right? I mean, the, yeah. as a computing revolution, like spreadsheet, word processing, personal computing, um, internet, I feel, t- internet is, I feel tautologically unbeatable because so many of these things are made possible by the internet that I think that, I think the internet would be right to point to AI and say that actually you can't have the, the, the revolution you're having today in AI without the internet. So I think we're going to give the AI, the, the internet special exception, but if it's, if it's as big as, as that, and I think it, Adam, it probably is potentially maybe on par with the spreadsheet. I mean, kind of up there, right? I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah. Potentially. I, I am I going to look back on this podcast and just like, puke because my <laughs> the entirety oh, of the United guy. States of America and from the largest mic. private company to right. the the largest government entity to the smallest business runs on Microsoft Excel and you can ignore it all you want but it's the truth <laughs> well, no, it, yes. in terms of like AI being that big because I do think the spreadsheet is extremely important and uh it, you should know that Adam is a spreadsheet maximalist by the way if I haven't already totally. made that my love AI. language it's, it, it, for good reason. It's amazing. The spreadsheet is, it, yeah. ma- it makes a lot of sense why you guys aren't LinkedIn friends now. We're not LinkedIn. Adam and I are not LinkedIn friends with one another? No. We, I think we are. Oh, Adam, we're 100% not. we are. I think, I think even, we are. Oh, not, yeah. not only are we LinkedIn friends, I think, uh, I think, I think we each re- have removed oh, no. recommendations <laughs> for each other. <laughs> we, exactly. I know for a hard fact. Well, my LinkedIn's lying to me then because it says your LinkedIn is lying to you. Okay, so no, pulling no, out no, my no. investigative journalism here. Okay, <laughs> no, you definitely need to no because Adam, Adam's got a very good memory. Um, because Adam and I, Adam, can you bring up the recommendations that uh, we wrote for one another? Um, because I don't I, know that we want to read them aloud. We uh, absolutely want to read them Well, maybe we want to read them to ourselves quickly. Well, and determine um, for, for the audience listening along. So, so Brian had to beg me to become LinkedIn friends with him. So he could I, 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 that was that, that was done in a private moment. I feel that like we should not. Do we? We're going to drag this out in front of everybody. We're going to we're going to LinkedIn shame me like this. I even told you that I was embarrassed when I was asking you to be. Yes, it's true. Well, true. I, true. I mean, and Elon Musk did this. Elon Musk brought this upon us. I am I am embarrassed about my engagement with LinkedIn, and he did it because he was the one that flew my social network into the side of a mountain, and now I'm forced to go to LinkedIn. It's true. It's true. I did. I did. Okay, so here's why I asked Jordan in what I thought was private to become LinkedIn friends. Also, what do we call it on LinkedIn? Oh, they're not friends. They're like... We're linked. I don't know. <laughs> business, <laughs> business associates? I mean... Business associates. Exactly. Um, business associates. <laughs> Um, because I, in order to be able to, to, uh, tag someone in a post, you need to be connected to them on LinkedIn. So that's why I, uh, in what I felt was a linked, 
a, a low but private moment I um I asked to connect you. I also George I I I I needed you both to like accept it immediately, which I felt really bad about because I want to be able to tag you in the LinkedIn post because LinkedIn is now the social network of choice. And again, I, I blame Elon Musk and the decline of human civilization. Adam, have you found these recommendations? Are these, um, I can't find I it. I found your recommendation for me. I, I, I'm, I'm happy to read it aloud, but I'll explain why I took it down too. Oh, <laughs> took it Jesus. Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, sometimes the so-called doctors sure are wrong. After the accident, the doctors told us Adam's brain damage was so extensive that he would be unlikely to ever care for himself again. If they could only see him now. Sure, his speech is slurred and he drools a bit, but if the task is menial and short and there's no time pressure, Adam's your man. So uh, this was actually like a response to a, uh, a recommendation I provided for you, Brian. That I can you I, find that I I'll, I'll I'll dig it up I'll dig it up uh, I'm clearly I, doing LinkedIn wrong <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs> that's not clear um, and I and I proudly I proudly like I, this was uh in 2006 I proudly you know signed up for that you know put you know said fine yeah tell everyone that that's who I am uh, until I was interviewing someone and we hired them and then months later he had joined and he said you know. When no, I've, given you some, I've given you some menial and short tasks in which there, there was great time pressure and you did great on them. Yeah. Well, thanks, pal. Um, uh, so when I had hired, uh, came to me and said, you know, when you interviewed me afterwards, I was, I thought, you know, his speech wasn't slurred at all. Oh my God. I'm and so it's odd that they made this guy CTO of this company. So, uh, what, I mean, what I really should meant is that I wasn't testing for any kind of humor filter, apparently, in the folks I was hiring. Um, so that's on me. But you should know, so Jordan and George, we are so old, Adam and I, that we were, this is like in the first days of LinkedIn. This yeah. is like how long we have been connected. And so, you know, with every new social network, so you have to understand, LinkedIn was basically like blue sky for a brief moment. And it was in this moment where Adam and I are basically like writing fake recommendations for each other. And yeah, and then I, I do you remember I, when endorsements showed up? You could endorse, yes, you could endorse, <laughs> and yes, we were trying, and we, we were trying to endorse bulk, endorse people for things that obviously they would find laughable. But unfortunately, well, I, think, I feel like you had to for anything, and so you had, I well, you had to eventually you had to accept the endorsement, which is unfortunate because right. then like no, no one's going to accept like an endorsement for animal husbandry or whatever that they've been called out, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It, it was like a 24 hours of really uh, a, a lot of delight on LinkedIn. So yeah, you, you didn't realize that you were walking into a LinkedIn lore session here, but uh, that's that's where we, we somehow Well, uh, before we move off of this, Josh, you can endorse people things. My, my brother, who just became the VP of a, of a different company today, um, he's endorsed for four skills, coffee, Seinfeld, walking and talking, and lunch. And apparently that's enough to get you VP of engineering at his new company. I practically is a VP of engineering. I think you got did, the whole did thing he don't have to did he don't have to tick some press a button to allow that to be I mean, this seems carefully curated. I see. Since this conversation has started, I've gotten multiple LinkedIn requests to connect. I don't know how this is gonna go. <laughs> well, you brought this on yourself. They anyway, let's just say long story short, Adam and I are very much connected on LinkedIn. So is I don't there know what LinkedIn is going yet. Yeah, I do, no, it I do me, actually. It told me we had no mutual friends. It was bizarre. 
I do find it really weird when people connect with you on LinkedIn and like a lot of, I feel like maybe this, maybe they've deleted all this language, but the language around the site used to really suggest that like you knew the person you were connecting to. It's like, I don't know you. Why would I? I don't know. It's inevitably people trying to sell something. So it's like, no, I don't know you. Go away. Ignore. Like. So my favorite thing, obviously, the name of the site is Storage Review. My favorite thing is when people try and come into my uh, DMs on LinkedIn and try and sell me storage. <laughs> uh, Adam, I have, even so, though it took me a long time to get it, I have the review. So the, the so you gave me this review that I received, but then did not approve it. So I never <laughs> had the dogma. <laughs> well, I didn't think you were going to approve mine. I had no idea. I thought we were just, you know, I thought we were. Uh, so this is October 3rd, 2006. This is a, that's a long time ago, man. Uh, like, yeah. I, I, um, I, George, Jordan, no comment from you in terms of where but, you were. To be you clear, this, is, this is something that was not on the internet before, and you're now putting it on the internet by reading it. That's right. Okay. I, yes. That, just, yes. Yep. Thank you. Just, Thank just you, checking. You, you, just if, checking. If you, if you could please move aside. You're blocking the, my route to the window. <laughs> uh, the uh, Brian is a fine engineer, and we're all delighted that he was released from prison so quickly. And of course, we do enjoy gathering around while he describes in detail the time he was shanked in the gut. So that is, it would be interesting to know, Adam, this was, and then I, of course, replied with my recommendation for you, which then you accepted, and I never accepted yours. So really, there's a, a deep asymmetry there that I, I know has. <laughs> It's plagued our relationship, so I'm I'm really so sorry. I'm glad we finally got this out. We finally got this out. I think this is ultimately this was very therapeutic. This was this is very, very healthy. healthy. Yes, thanks everyone. <laughs> Thank you everyone. We we this is this has been obviously going on for you know almost twenty years. So we finally got that out. I swear LinkedIn was not much older than that. I don't know when LinkedIn came out, but uh, October third, two thousand six is like maybe it was a year old. So anyway, um, where, how did we get here, Jordan? Why are we why are we talking about what link? How did we mention LinkedIn? Well, I started um, talking a bunch of crap about it, and then all of a sudden we had to. We went to a family therapy session, so <laughs> well, I just kind of stayed in the background from that one. <laughs> Welcome to Oxide Friends. You know, uh, um, the, uh, pass the tissues, please, uh, and use I feel statements. I, so, um, but in terms of the, the, I think you've got very prudent advice. I don't know how we got here, so I'm just going to try to get us back. The um, Jordan, very prudent advice in terms of. Uh, actually starting out renting GPUs on the, the with uh, it to get your feel for it. Um, but, uh, and I think, uh, I, sorry, this is what we're talking in terms of the, the, the scope of the revolution. If this revolution is as big as many of us, many people think it is, um, it's going to be with us for a long time. Then if it's as big as the spreadsheet, then the year is like 1982 with respect to spreadsheets. And like, there's a lot that's going to happen in the next 10 and 15 years. And it's not like you're, you're not trying to like make the train here. Um, you're trying to hack into something that's pretty fundamental and that should hopefully take some of the panic out of, you know, as people are trying to figure out, you know, what do I do here? It's like, you, you got some time because this is going to be a big deal. Is that a, a fair statement? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's not only fair. I think it's a, a an accurate judgment. Uh, maybe, possibly a little too optimistic on the whole thing but it's not gonna go anywhere right like we're not gonna it's not gonna go away it's it's not netscape it's of the same business impact you know as as the spreadsheet and in in enterprise once once enterprise really does figure this out in a meaningful way 
we're going to see, hopefully, and and this is probably the optimist glass half full in me, uh, hopefully we're going to see really positive impacts to kind of the entire customer experience end to end, right? Nothing's more frustrating than calling into a call center agent and I don't know, or getting to a call tree and trying to say, I need to talk to billing. I'm sorry, I didn't understand. I need to talk to billing. I Like, that's just like, if we can get past that kind of just menial crap in enterprise, in the whole general implementation, like, like just the surface level stuff, forget what it's going to do for the actual innovation behind the scenes of an engineer who can go and talk to decades of documentation and you know knowledge that's been put down by other other folks just that surface level customer service side it, it's going to be wonderful it'll be a big deal that's going to be transformative the, so, and so in, in, what do you see in terms of the current uh impediments to this cuz I, I do feel that the uh, I mean, this has been a little bit like programming your calculator. Even as good as, as CUDA is, um, it is it's a very different model. Uh, I mean, when when I you know kind of assume the ubiquity of accelerated compute, it's hard not to see a model like the MI three hundred A or like Grace Hopper, where you've got uh, general purpose CPUs living alongside uh, of it, it accelerators. With what is your take on that in terms of what the future what, what this means for the future of accelerated compute? That that's complex, right? Because there's you, you look at it from an architecture standpoint. It's really interesting. It's super compelling. George and I could probably talk for three hours on that. And then you move article a level. coming soon. Yeah, he's <laughs> probably, I believe he's got one. You move a layer up from that, and you get to kind of that. You know, okay, well, how do we how do we employ this as a tool thought process? And you start looking at. Okay, we've got you know some really noisy uh, uh, models uh, or algorithms that really need to kind of go back and forth between that general purpose, and you're, you're leaning into the you're leaning into some really interesting topics there, and out from there even further you kind of touch on the stuff i just did which is how does this actually affect i think there's a lot of fear mongering and a lot of um uh they're taking our jobs type uh thoughts around this kind of thing but i think we're so far off from something like an agi uh that actually could do that that could actually replace warm chairs that it's not it's not anything folks need to worry about it's more of a, how does this help everybody get a little bit better at their day to day? You know, like in, in you got the monologuing. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I've got it, some it, it, if I could interject here, it, no, I, I kind of have to agree with what, what's being said in the live chat right now. And if you look at the percentage accuracy for smaller models, which is realistically what, because trying to train these billion plus trillion plus um, size parameter models very very intensive, right? Not just in terms of compute, but also in terms of memory bandwidth and capacity. Only really the big players can can do that right now. So if you start looking at sort of the seven billion parameter models, 
their accuracy is something in the 40% range. Like, you're looking at it, it, it's maybe a help if, if you can train it to be a very specific sort of model. But yeah, that's other than that, trying to train a general purpose model on just 7 billion parameters is, I would argue, a fool's errand. A fool's errand. Okay, so the, the, you, the, this is really interesting, George, because I agree with you that it, it does feel like, you know, we have taken this, we, humanity, for the last three years, it's been a very, very, very brute force approach of just like more parameters, more parameters, more parameters. Uh, it feels like the breakthroughs recently have been in the stuff that's got... Uh, smaller parameters and a little more focused and how you can actually like, it feels like there's a lot of focus on efficiency, which kind of leads me to my question for you, which is are, you know, ultimately the power bill did catch up with a lot of the crypto mining is the power bill going to be part of the, the calculus here in terms of like, well, if we, you know, training that, that model, there's, there's a huge amount in terms of physical plant, or that 7 billion parameters, but then there's also just a huge amount of power that went into that. And are we going to begin to, to really, because I think Adam, you and I have been waiting for our entire careers for people to really start thinking about the power consequences of, of, so, of their, their software decisions. And it feels like for the GPGPU or for, for accelerated compute and for AI workloads, that moment may be here just because it's so cost prohibitive. Is that George, do you think people are going to really start thinking about the, the, the power dissipation of a give, of training a given model? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's... I, you, you sort of already hear talk about it of just how much power OpenAI needed to train GPT-4, right? Yeah. It Just staggering amounts of power was needed. And while GP, GPT-4 is good... Can it replace a human? Eh, not, in my opinion, no. And if that's sort of where you're having to go to replace a, a person, just the power, the power budget isn't there. If you consider that a human consumes about 100 watts, and what a human can do in that 100 watts is absolutely staggering compared to yes. what compute can do it's in amazing. many cases. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, it's very clear that our that our brains have got a very different compute model at least from the that i mean we're obviously not silicon and not air cooled um or goo cooled water cooled um gross you know, the <laughs> uh i mean i think that like the it, it, and i think what i'm i don't know what i what i feel i'm seeing more of out there is I mean, because I think we need to get past this, like the doomerist nonsense. It's just, I mean, it's just it's such nonsense. And kind of accepting that you need to have, you know, Jordan, you mentioned kind of the HIPAA compliance and so on, that you're, that that safety needs to be a part of the way you kind of think about these things, especially if you're going to have them be generative. But I just feel like there's so many, I mean, the, the problem that I, I mean, Adam, I know you and I have both got kind of our, our little problems that we're interested in, but I mean, I am so interested in letting this stuff loose on technical documentation to do things that are to uh, use it as a, a much more informed search um, effectively, and <laughs> I mean, we're we're kind of rolling out some of our internal problems. Like we've written written I don't know how many words, a couple million words. What do you think? A lot, yeah. In, in terms of the specification of all the different aspects of the machine, I mean, I think you're you're speaking for me as well when you think like 
couldn't an AI kind of help me figure yes. out the truth here? And maybe even like have some citations so it couldn't invent too many hallucinations that I couldn't fact check? Yeah, I mean, I, I, know. I think so. And so what Adam was referring to is kind of we, we've got this this uh, we our technical documentation is in these things that we call requests for discussion RFDs and I mean I would love to let a an LLM kind of loose on the on these things to uh, help us as we are you know help us find inconsistency I mean there's a bunch of stuff where it's like actually like hallucinations are 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 fine because we're just going to kind of fact check this stuff it's like it's not a huge waste of time to be to be told that. Um, and if you can find some stuff that's otherwise hard to find, that's kind of interesting. So sorry, Jordan, I cut you off there. No, I was, I was going to kind of interject just for a second in the conversation, right? So, and I think this is because of my own personal biases. I view things like chat GPT, you know, 3.5, 3, 4, any version. I view those more as a tool, right? They're not, they're not an intelligence. They're a tool. Um, in, in, I was wondering, I know we're kind of at the top of the hour here, but if everybody's okay with it, we could go down kind of a thought experiment route with this whole thing. I'm seeing a lot of, I just tuned into the chat for the first time and and, and it's triggered me. <laughs> um, for the boomers in the crowd, that means I'm I'm getting energized oh, by their God. feedback. Um, uh -huh. <clears throat> Just to go down a thought experiment, you know, you know, Jordan. If 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 you keep this up, I'm gonna have to actually uh, draw. We'll, we'll do a little like, yeah. Oh, because well, no, this is the, the way to get a millennial back. Is millennials don't realize that they've actually like kind of quietly aged, and there's an entire generation behind you that um, has some comments on the way. So we'll we'll do a little Gen Z slang quiz later. <laughs> no, I was just I, I was just curious. Like, if we look at this as more of a thought experiment, right? I'm sure it's been talked about and brought up a hundred times. But if you look at it more of a tool, right? How many tools have been invented throughout mankind's history that people have been fearful of, either the cost or the 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 harm that could potentially happen, or or, or the in anything, right? Any new tool that has come out and been invented by mankind, there's always been a certain amount of pushback. And for me personally, right, aviation is a big connection for that. And, you know, in the very early days of lighter than air and they were using balloons, you know, oh, man, is not meant to go, you know, more than seven feet off the ground like there was just wild stuff that was being written and printed and talked about i'm just curious if we look at it through a lens historically of that kind of caliber of a, a game changer like aviation or or electrification how does this parody those types of innovations and uh, yeah. if we look at those I, I, as a playbook. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that, that there is going to be less. I, I, I think the demographic that is concerned about a, the AI doom is a pretty small demographic, uh, like a very small demographic. You get outside of technologists and start talking about doomerists, you sound like you're off your rocker. Um, you know, you go talk to, you know, go talk to your kid's basketball coach about AI doomerists. They're just be like, what, the, what are you talking about? Like, can you, just, can you get your kid on time to practice? That's what I'm actually asking you. Right. Are they in the room with you right now, these doomers? Absolutely. I mean, it just, it just sounds so unhinged. Um, and I think that th this is going to be, um, and I, I think you can easily make the argument that this is, um, that 
Uh, this will not be, I mean, there are other innovations that are broader in terms of their scope. I mean, electrification is, is one that obviously electrification and um, and rail and aviation, and I mean, there are a bunch of things that, that really, I mean, very materially impacted people's lives. And I think, you know, it, it, this could be there um, maybe um, in, in certain regards. I mean, I can tell you in, in some regards, it's already there. I mean, the ability to, I've said this before, but uh, when my father-in-law passed away, the ability to go to Google Photos and pick up every photo that I'd ever taken of my father-in-law instantly was, I mean, that was, and that was in 2017. That was a moment for me. It was like, okay, there's a, there is like real here, um, and that's going to have a, a real impact on people's lives. And I, so I think that I would say also, Jordan, the flip side of that, just for whatever it's worth, to give you the other side of it is. Um, I think yes, every technological revolution has been feared at some level. I think that uh, just about every technological revolution has also been abused. And I think that, uh, you know, and I wrote a blog entry on this somewhat recently um, about what, what punch cards can teach us about AI safety. Um, the, uh, if you look at the role of, uh, IB, I read Edwin Black's IBM and the Holocaust and the role that punch cards played or the very important role that punch cards played for the Nazis um, and the, so the, these technologies can, and that's not a reason to not develop them. That's, the, that's just a, you gotta be really clear eyed about these technologies are going to be, uh, some folks are going to want to be using them with reckless abandon. Some folks are going to fear them. Um, and, uh, the really, we want to be kind of in the moderate middle for, especially for the revolutionary ones, um, where, um, we want to appreciate their power, and we want to understand and learn how to use them responsibly. I think it's kind of the, and I'll get off my soapbox on that one. So yeah, we've been, uh, needless to say, we probably, we, we actually got an entire episode on on a, the AI doomerists um, that we've, re- I, Adam, I think we've done a good job resisting the temptation of going back to the well on. I, 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 think, I think we don't make every episode all about that, so I think we're doing pretty well for us. Uh, I just love your pause. It's like, I think we're doing pretty well. Hmm. Okay, hmm. I th- I, I, you know, it's great to hear that you believe that. That's important. So. <laughs> well, I tell you, I was looking for the mute button, but we both know that's not true. We both know that's true. The uh, well, we're gonna and actually, Adam, maybe that's a, this is a good tee up for our uh, our. We're gonna have a predictions episode. So, so Jordan and George, we do a. Uh, we've got a little oxide and friends tradition that we started. When did we start this, Adam? In twenty twenty two, maybe. Something like that. Yes, that must be right. Yeah, yeah, January 22, yeah. Of doing uh, predictions. So you can go check out our past predictions in 2022 and 2023. Um, and uh, I, I think we can safely say, Adam, that we're going to have some AI-related predictions uh, in 2024. That safe prediction, for sure. Yes. Barely a prediction. Exactly. So what what bookie is uh, underwriting us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so you should go listen to the past recordings. We've got some good ones out there. Um, and uh, so those are um, as cause we are. Uh, this is going to be I don't I think we are. You, you're, we're out next week, right? We're out for the next. That's right. Weeks. We're out for the next couple of weeks. Right. So so this is it for 2023. <clears throat> we are bidding adieu to 20. George and Jordan, you are here with us as we wave goodbye to 2023. Um, I think it's safe to say that it has been. SVB was this year, Adam. Does that feel like? Doesn't that feel like? That's that's wild. Yeah, that's I can't believe that. I mean, it feels like it was at least three years ago, but yeah, it's been a busy year. It has been yeah. So I mean, and George and Jordan, I know that the the SVB Silicon Valley Bank, the Silicon Valley Bank failure was uh, a notable event in 2023. That feels like it was a notable event in like 
1923 because it feels like it was so long ago, but um, that was this year. So it's been a, it's been a hell of a year. Um, and uh, we, uh, the year certainly there's been uh, a lot of a lot this year. Um, and uh, hoping everyone will bring their predictions with them for what we, the first episode in January, right? Adam, do you have the date on that in front of you by any chance? I think we already, I think you put it on the calendar already. Is it, if you go up to the events tab, it will even tell it us. January 8th, right? It'll be January 8th. There we'll we go. Tab. January 8th, 5 p.m. Pacific. Also, the 100th episode of Oxide and Friends. So, doubly it's special milestone. That that's is, right. That's a big milestone. Yeah. So, Jordan, sorry I, if you, uh, you, you may have kicked off more than you intended to there. Um, <laughs> but uh, we... Uh, I, so would encourage folks to be noodling on their predictions. Go listen to our, the past predictions um, from 2022 and 2023. We'll be doing a checkup on that. Um, see how risk five in the data center is doing. I'm trying to think of where some of the other big themes. Adam oh, predict- oh, risk five in the data center. Exactly. So I think the, I think Laura's still got some years to run on that though. And that's I, right. So, I, I, we had some I'm, Discord I'm, predictions, Web3 prediction. Web3 was very popular last year, I think, in terms of in predictions. Yes. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Jeez. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. You're right. Jeez. I know. We're in a time warp over here. But so our yeah, 100th episode, wow. that's going to be a lot of fun. So, um, but uh, George and Jordan, any, uh, any kind of closing thoughts for us on the um, MI300? Um, you know, kind of we had asked in a Betteridge's Law of Headlines style if this is the future of accelerated compute. It does feel like uh, we did get a glimpse of the future here from uh, both in terms of this and Grace Hopper from NVIDIA. It does feel like um, the future is upon us. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we definitely took a turn a little bit there and kind of got down the AI road, but... I think we we, we kind of all are in consensus consensus here that this is a uh, very intriguing product and it's going to give us a lot to offer. Well, we are we're so at Oxide as folks know we do not have an accelerated compute product, but uh, this is a building block that um, we obviously have our eyes on. Very excited, excited that it's open. Um, excited that uh, AMD has embraced Ethernet as the interconnect as opposed to proprietary interconnects. That's a that's a great move, uh, I think, and uh, it's exciting stuff. So, so it, yeah. actually, just the last comment that I just saw in chat. Um, actually, I, I personally, I think Mi three hundred A is going to be more in the sort of traditional HPC realm than for the AI realm. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, th- that's sort of my prediction. Is it, 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 if you want to knock that down as one of as a prediction, is I think Mi three hundred A is going to be much more popular in the HPC space, and Mi three hundred X is going to be the sort of AI the AI go side. That's yep. interesting. Uh, can you elaborate on that in just a second? So, because I think that that's what is kind of the, the what what do you see as the difference between those workloads? And why is A a particular fit for one and not the other? So if you look at a lot of HPC code, a lot of it is stuff that was written before I was born, before probably a lot of folks in the chat were born, back in the 70s and the 80s. And a lot of that code not only like can't 
be moved forward to GPUs, yeah, but they're very memory bandwidth hungry. So that CPU component on A will do wonders for a lot of that code. Um, like, I know we were using... Uh, basically... But for AI-based problems, it feels like that's also a win. Is that not also a win to, to have your general-purpose compute sitting next to your accelerated compute? But for them, it's it's less... They care... They're already accelerated. So they they don't care as much about what's happening on the CPU side. Interesting. They're almost all just GPU-dependent code, right? And what they care about is memory capacity and memory bandwidth. Now, in terms of memory bandwidth, yeah. they're, A and X are equal. But X has more memory capacity, which is what the AI folks are really, really want in order to fit all those big models into... Um, and are you talking about the chip. training side or the inference side or both? Both. Both. Both the training and the inference side. Um, yeah, so I, I see MI300A as the HPC and MI300X as the AI. But Interesting. Yeah, it feels to me that like if this is going to be a ubiquitous part of compute, that we want it to be as close as possible to our general purpose compute, and that that having it sit out there as a peripheral is going to be just there's it's going to continue to get in the way. The, the the split between these is going to continue to get in the way, but maybe not. Maybe uh, maybe that's the there are um it it just yeah maybe the ending point for these AI workloads will be to sit on on the kind of the disjoint accelerators. And just for the reasons you mentioned, George, just get, getting a bit more memory or what have you, or being able to dedicate all of that to, to the workload. All right, well, that's a, I don't think this is a, this is a pretty good, uh, pretty good roundup here. Um, interesting part for sure. Um, something to keep, the, keep an eye on. Uh, a lot of interesting trends out there. Um, and uh, a great 2023. So um, thanks for spending your 2023 with us, you all. And um, we will see you in 2024 with lots of great predictions. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You bet, guys. All right. Adam, see you in 2024. See you, Brian.